Hello there everybody and welcome to a particularly solemn episode of the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. Manchester certainly doesn't feel very red on this Monday, uh, drain greary as it is. Joining me for this post-mortem that I thought we'd left behind is of course Mr Samuel Lucas. Samuel, how's it going? I'm not bad, thank you Dan, how are you? I'm very, well... I'm meant to be all miserable, but I can't lie, I'm still absolutely buzzing, but we carry on regardless, don't we? Also with us today, of course, is Mr. Rich Fay. Rich, how's it going? Yeah, um, maybe not as joyful as you, maybe not as solemn as Samuel, but somewhere in the middle, a bit like Goldie. Oh, I'm, I'm not solemn. We're, we're, not a, we're not a fan TV channel. We're, we're journalists here. We're, we're exactly. professional. We're, we're impartial. We're objective. Yeah, this is, this is none of that nonsense here. No, and it's a, it's a story. It's a massive story. And it's one, as a journalist, that gets us all excited, of course. That's why I'm buzzing. I don't think anyone expected anything different. I should certainly hope not. Anyway, that would be a horrible accusation to lay at my feet. But... Samuel, we must start somewhere and we must ask the, the simplest of questions is what on God's green earth went wrong at Anfield? Because of course, Liverpool 7, Manchester United 0. It, it may be one of those games that is inexplicable in 20 years, 50 years time when, when people are still in, in, when people are in their retirement homes, rocking in their chair, remembering that day um, that they may still not have an explanation for it. It, it was, it, it was pretty staggering really um, speaking to some supporters who were in, in, in the away end for the game. One was pretty much just lost for words, really. They, they couldn't really make head or tail of it. Um, there were a couple of Liverpool fans, uh, um, a friend of mine who was also in the away end said that he'd spoken to and they were they were shocked by what, what they'd seen from Liverpool. I mean, nobody deserved, not, not deserved, nobody expected to see what happened happen. Uh, I think Ty said that there might have been, at half-time, might have been a thousand-to-one shot for Liverpool to have won that game 7-0. And I thought the second goal, when that went in, I just thought, United just going to have to accept that it's not going to happen today. They're going to lose this. 2-0 two, two is a salvageable scoreline. But the timing of the second goal, it's, 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 I struggle to think who scored, to, to recall who scored it. I think it was Nunez. There were so many it goals. Was, yeah. But the timing of it, I just thought, was such a big psychological fillip for Liverpool that that was the game done and dusted, even though you see 2-0, it is a salvageable scoreline. When the third went in, you sensed and the crowd sensed this could be carnage. And then when the fourth goal goes in, the carnage has well and truly started. And in the end, United were like a helpless combatant in the Coliseum. And the longer the sport went on, the bloodier it got. And in the end, it was death by a thousand cuts. Uh, there was just a total lack of discipline. I'm sure we'll be using that word quite a lot today. But... The way you just saw the players reacting, Fernandez was the worst for that. And when he's wearing the captain's armband, that's just not a good look. But in added time, there was a breakaway Liverpool had where they had five players on three, and really they should have they should have become the first team in 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 145 years history of Newton Heath and Manchester United's existence. Liverpool probably should have become the first team to have scored eight goals past them in a single game. They had the opportunities. They could easily have broken double figures yesterday. Every time they attacked, they looked like scoring. And United just kept on, kept on repeating the same mistakes. I mean, the infamous Basak's here goal that time that Denver Bar scored against them. United were in those 
those scenarios were happening time and again in the second half. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the tactical minutiae of it. And Ten Hag did say that in the first half, United played well. And I think that's probably what made it even more of a shock, uh, what, what happened in the second half, because they probably just edged it in terms of uh, the way they used the ball, the way they um, approached the game, the opportunities they had. But it was just a, it was an extraordinary capitulation. It was, you look at what Ten Hag said on Thursday at his pre-match press conference, I think everybody would have been nodding along in agreement. The, the supporters would have approved of what he said about the mentality of this team. And I think he was asked whether he had his own set of mentality monsters, as, as Liverpool have had, as they've called them. But yesterday, United were just mentally monstered. And I just thought at 4-0, I even tweeted it because you can see what's coming. And at 4-0, it was a case of, right, you've just got to accept the beating. Just try and consolidate a 4-0 defeat, as humiliating as that sounds. And it was like a house being on fire. And rather than trying to contain the fire, knowing that you can't really put it out, they didn't. And all of a sudden, a wildfire spreads. Nobody nobody tried to contain it whatsoever. Um, just a complete lack of character, leadership, discipline, uh, nobody wanting to take responsibility at that stage. It, it was it was just an extraordinary mental capitulation. I, it's a struggle to think of a football team at that level capitulating in such an extraordinary way. Well, the only one I can think of, and the only game I has any sort of similarities, is the famous Brazil and Germany World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah. Was it the seven yeah. one? Of course, that's the only Very one good I can comparison. think of. Where yeah. The, the, t- the team on the opposing end of the shellac- shellacking is just absolutely shell-shocked by it and can't do anything to, to stem it, Rich. I mean, I thought I think Samuel's spot on there about how at three or, f- or at least four, the absolute latest, United should have kind of taken the L, accepted it, and just damaged limitations at that point. You've got to, you can't let it get any worse. 4 nil. while obviously it's still embarrassing, it's not going to, it's not going to, potentially define the season which this really feels like it could and it's almost as if United's biggest strength in the last few months came back to bite them United um, in many games I've seen against Barcelona and City most notably have never kind of known when they're beaten haven't accepted it have fought hard fought well to the end shown resilience to come back and haven't given up but here they kind of should have done that a little bit because they kept trying to go forward at times and were having absolutely no joy and just when you're Five nil down, six nil down, and still getting caught out on the counter attack. It's just, it's woeful game management from either the manager's instructions or the players on the pitch who just were doing whatever you know, as Ten Hag described it as unprofessional, which it, it really was. Yeah, it was an absolute car crash at that stage, wasn't it? It was so out of hand, and like you said, four nil, five nil, even you know that is what past United managers have done. None of them lost seven nil at Anfield. You know this is an all new low in terms of that. And yes, there have been results. I mean, think of the Brentford game. That is probably a worse performance in a way. But this is the seismic result. This is the one that stands out. This is the one that will be remembered for for years and years and years. You know, they've lost seven nil against their most fierce rivals, who aren't even having that good a season themselves. You know, there's just there's no getting away from it. It was absolutely pathetic and embarrassing from United. And like you said. It's the way that they didn't handle the game. They didn't just see it out and accept that they, they, they'd lost and just try and have the damage limitations approach. And funny enough, I tweeted that yesterday that United were playing like Brazil. It just happened to be Brazil from the 2014 World Cup semi-final. They were emulating. They were they were pathetic. And 
after the game, there's been lots of criticism, lots of harsh reactions. And obviously with revisionism and hindsight, we can maybe be a bit more analytical and all that. But it is the senior players that have to have to take the responsibility of that. And there is a core of players there who have been present for so many years of sort of abject performances, so many of these big defeats. There's been a core of players who have been present throughout all of it. And I guess it was just another reality check that United aren't in a title race. They probably never have been. There's been glimpses where things have opened up, but they've always been best of the rest. And at the moment, they might not even finish as that, to be honest. It was just harsh and so difficult to take, I suppose, because you started off the podcast asking what went wrong. And it is hard to put a finger on exactly what went wrong. And I suppose Ten Hag will be just hoping that that is the way to, to go forward, that it was just one of those days, a really, really, really bad day at the office. The office has burnt down and been evacuated. You're never going back there again. But United have to just hope that they can move on. They've got two games again this week. I think for me, and we'll probably come on to this later in the podcast, the concern is they are such a different team away from home than they are at home. You look at the City win and the Barcelona win already this year, in both those games, they went a goal down, but they never conceded the second. And it was as, as if that when United conceded that second, the whole game plan and blueprint was torn apart. They didn't know how to respond. And that, although there is an element of Ten Hag's own failings, which I think we'll get onto as well, the players on the pitch let him down hugely there. And it was an absolute embarrassment. Mm, yeah, I can I can sort of see how it kind of exploded so violently. Because you got to remember, it was kind of like... Everything happened so quickly and it was such a head spinning. You think Casemiro put United ahead and it looked like United's game plan had worked perfectly then it's correctly ruled out for offside. And on a the, on the sixpence, everything turns around. Gakpo you know, sends Varane back to Madrid and finishes beautifully. And then the complexion of the game, well, it's changed. United played well in that first 45. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd agree with Samuel. I do think United were the better side. Certainly had the better opportunities. It, it almost seems absolutely null now, but Rashford had a great chance from Shaw's ball, I believe. Someone else went through on one point, didn't they? I can't quite recall who it was at this point, but there was good chances in the first half. United edged it, and then I think, Samuel, you've hit the nail on the head. The hammer blow of two goals in that five minutes. In that sort of game, a big rivalry, you know, the Anfield atmosphere can often be um, over-exaggerated, but for that sort of occasion, it was a cauldron, and it was certainly bubbling when the third went in. And it was just, yeah... I can almost not excuse it. You can never excuse 7-0, but it just feels like such a, a unique set of circumstances in the way it happened where it's almost a bit more understandable how the heads went and maybe now Ten Hag's job is to make sure they don't go to that degree ever again. It's a fair point. I mean, watching the goals back and watching the build-up in detail as well, it, it is just a team that mentally are completely shot. Uh, the manner of the goals, the, the amount of breakaways ha- Liverpool had from from United's corners or United having the ball in their own third. And Ten Hag, he, he almost knew it by memory, which was quite impressive post-match because it was a struggle to keep up with the goals and how they were scored. There were so many. But he was talking about how poor United were in the transitions. And I said earlier about the, the, this Basak Sahir knack United have of... Um, you know, just abandoning defenders or leaving players isolated. I mean, Anthony got a lot of stick on Match of the Day last night, and rightly so, because I don't know what whether that was deliberate or not, but we have seen that from him before. And he is one of the signings who, although recently he's had a, a relatively decent period, he hasn't got up to speed completely. And 
unfortunately for him, he's got the unfavourable comparison there yesterday of Gakpo. And obviously Gakpo is a player that United effectively passed on. And I don't think yesterday's result performance is going to change their stance on that. But when you go and sign a Dutch forward mid-season in January and they come and, and Veghorst has got what it's one goal in 14 now and Liverpool obviously invested I think up to 50 million pounds in Gakpo and just just before this United game he started to come good with a couple of goals against Everton and, and Newcastle you you just have to take your medicine um, as, as far as that's concerned but I think United can brush that off um, but but some of the goals I mean the, the, the second goal Luke Shaw's pass I mean they can salvage the situation from it but you can't quite understand what is going through a player's mind uh, when they play that pass, and it's a pass that is just never on. It's just, and and Shaw has got this in him when he's having a really bad day, and unfortunately for him, he's had a fair few really bad days during his near nine years at United. He's had some excellent days as well, but he's just got this air of laziness about him when things are going wrong, and he wasn't the only one yesterday, but a hell of a lot of the attacks were coming down his side in the second half and Ten Hag probably exacerbated it by deciding to put Garnacho on. I I couldn't really understand the thinking behind that. The game was well and truly as dead as a doornail at that point. You might as well have put Harry Maguire on at the back just as an extra extra defender just to see out this pretty bad defeat that was um developing in front of him. I, I didn't quite see the see what he was trying to do by bringing Garnacho on and McTominay on at the same time it was it was too ambiguous I mean was McTominay coming on in, in some in an attacking capacity uh, we, we've seen this before this season with McTominay coming on I think it was against Real Sociedad you didn't know whether in a game that United were chasing a goal whether McTominay's remit was to try and get a goal or you know, sit sit in front of the back four and as as far as a lot of the other goals go, I mean, Dallow's on the line for a couple of them, but he was, I think for the last one, he might have been behind the line. Like in terms of talk about being mentally shot, that, that is it. You don't even know where the goal line is. And I mean, it wasn't an easy chance for Firmino, but I mean, you've got a very good view from the Anfield press box. I'm looking at him thinking, if he just like hits this, even if he hits a pass back at goal, it's probably going in somehow or other. And that's pretty much the way it did go in. And so I think when they have their, I mean, they'll have had their debrief by now, unless it's still going on. We're talking at quarter to uh, two at the moment. They're all in at 9am. There's every chance Ten Hag is, has got them locked in that room still. But he can at least, you know, whittle it down if you like. It's probably not the right expression, but it's it's a 45-minute horror show that he will hopefully banish from memory. I, I just didn't think that after last season it could get any worse. And then after Brentford, I think we all thought it can't get any worse. I think you can rather co more confidently say it surely cannot get worse for Manchester United supporters in their lifetime than losing 7-0 away at Liverpool. Uh, I mean... It's it's difficult to even see what what happened in 1931. It's it's so long ago. I'm not too sure. Um, I'm not too sure even the Oscars were going on at that point. It must have. It may have been in its infancy. But it, it was a once in a lifetime result that happened yesterday. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Liverpool won five 0 against United last season, seven 0 this season. So. Um, I think there might be a few nervous United fans going to Anfield next season amid the possibility of of, of a nine nil. Well, certainly brave souls who do uh, venture up next season. But Rich, I feel like another kind of pertinent question is, 
was was this a one-off? Like, it feels like you know United won the Carabao Cup at quite a canter um, a couple of weeks back now. And it feels like, I know lots of supporters of pretty much every other club was kind of mourning the end of the United kind of decade of banter. It felt like they finally got their acts together somewhat. A really good manager, progress finally being made again, winning the trophy. It, it, and it did, and it still does. United, of course, are still in the running for three uh, more trophies, of course. It still feels like it could be the, you know, maybe it's just the Indian summer of the of the banter era. But is it like, could this, could this result rock the rest of the season I say three trophies still to compete for the Premier League probably out of reach now you'd imagine but still still in there still in, still in there just about the Europa League to come this week of course which we'll touch on and the FA Cup still going strong but it's going to be the big task of bouncing back from this now and Ten Hag has done it twice as you say the Brentford game and the City game 6-3 um, did only the two late goals avoided that from being a complete and utter catastrophe as well can 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 he do it for a third time this season and bounce back from a you know and a humiliation? Yeah, I remember we are not a fan channel. The banter era, uh, yeah, I suppose we'll go with that though. Yeah, I, I, and that's true. Where's that he said then though. Yeah, that's true. What he said though, Dan, because United were maybe not pitied, but people didn't see them as a threat anymore. And the fact that United are being hated again and getting so many rival fans irate proves that they're doing things that the right way. And like you said, in terms of if this is a one-off. In terms of the actual scoreline and the way they've been humiliated, yes, because I think lots of other teams don't even go for the seventh themselves. They try and maybe take stock and United don't capitulate in such a manner, even if they're being totally outplayed. So I think in terms of the scoreline, it is a one-off. My concern, as I said earlier, is the fact that United have been really poor in, in the bigger games away from home this season. I know there's been an improvement with that two-all draw against Barcelona. They could have definitely got a point as well, at least from Arsenal away. But City away, they were absolutely, you know, torn apart. Chelsea away, United played okay, but they still were, you know, by the end, salvaging a point in that game. And Liverpool, of course, has been the latest one, which has been a disaster. They just don't look the same team away from home. So I think it's fair to say the scoreline was a one-off. But in terms of the actual performances, they need to get a new sort of tactic for when they play these big teams away from home because... They're turning out to be rather sort of predictable. And I know that you want consistency, you want momentum, but the fact that United's lineup was basically the same against what's well, the same as Newcastle, it was basically the same team that had played at Barcelona as well. Liverpool knew exactly what United's strengths were, but they also knew what their weaknesses were as well. And they knew how gettable they were, you know, if they just played to their own attacking strengths. And there was so much in the build up of how United can punish Liverpool. We know that Trent Alexander Arnold's vulnerable as a defensive fullback, fantastic going forward, but he's, he's gettable there. Rashford's got at him loads of times. You know that defensively, Wan-Bissaka maybe would be a better choice than Dallow because he's going to have a lot of work to do and United have have to deal with Liverpool's own threat and Liverpool in the second half just played to their strengths and forgot about United's own strengths and that really did, did cause them a problem. They, they, they obviously respected them, but they didn't over-respect them. You talk about what difference a week can make. I mean, usually when you win a trophy, you sort of put a mural or whatever up at the training ground. They should just paint that scoreline onto the training ground and remind these United players every single day of the humiliation they've had. And that should be the fire in the belly, really, for them to put things right. Yeah, to sum it up, like I said, I think the scoreline was an anomaly. I don't think the sort of performance necessarily was. Even if you look at United's record this season, was it they've won one away game against teams in the top, 12 or top half of the table and that was Fulham and they could easily have not won that you know it's not been good enough and it's not been good enough all season but they've done enough to paper over the cracks 
the, the trophy to every game. Oh. Sorry, the the trophy point is No, the the trophy point and how like Ten Hag kind of almost left it behind literally in the uh, the press room at Wembley. But I really did not like what United did before kickoff against West Ham where they had Maguire and Fernandes hoist in the League Cup. They've literally never, ever done that before in their history, before a home game, having just won the League Cup at Wembley. And then it was Casemiro and Mary Earp's recognition for their individual awards that some malarkey awards do in the week. You know, credit to them. They've had great years. Brilliant. But they do that as well. And then it's and David De Gea with his clean sheets record. And then, of course, four days later, David De Gea's conceding seven goals at Anfield. They... They, sh- they could have come a crop very easily against West Ham. West Ham went 1-0 up. They should have gone 2-0 up. They've been let off the hook by a couple of teams. You go up against Liverpool. They are the most ruthless team going when they're at their optimum. And to to coin a, you know, to, to come up with a cricket reference that I'm sure you'll understand, Dan, Liverpool do not declare as prematurely as Ben Stokes. Absolutely not. No, um, I am not really up to date with the. I, they lost, didn't they, to Bangladesh? Is that is that, I, I, the, 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 with the, with the test? You know, with the test. Obviously, I'm. I, I've mm-hmm. not really been keeping up to date with the the one days, but uh, the the, the test was a hell of a test in New Zealand recently. It certainly was. It certainly was, and you know, it's, it's a big test for United, of course. Um, these away games, Samuel. You've been up and down the country watching United this season can you kind of tell a noticeable difference between the home and aways like what is costing them when they're not as good away as they are at home uh, it's, I mean it's a good question because we up until relatively recently it was always United only win games by the odd goal and then after the World Cup they won a few games uh, 3-0 or 3-1 and, and most of those wins I think if not all of those wins were were probably coming at, in, in home games as well I, I would imagine it's it's been a recurring theme of them all season that they've they've just not been ruthless enough and Rashford has carried that attack yeah all season and He's not carried the team because they've had brilliant players elsewhere. I mean, to, you know, forget yesterday for one moment, but Casemiro, Martinez, and Vran have been terrific for United this season. They've they've been awesome players. Um, you know, there, there's every chance they'll probably get included in the in the team of the season. But Rashford's on 25 goals. The next high score, I think, is Fernandez, who's on seven goals. So. That's that's all. That was always going to be a problem, and the mid-season addition has got one goal in fourteen games, which is worse than Radamel Falcao after fourteen games. Better than Diego Forlan, same as Gary Bertels, but but worse than Falcao. And as as far as the away form goes, probably the most impressive they've played away from home all season was at Barcelona, where. They they really did rise to the occasion. They were on the front foot. They could have easily lost that game, but they could also have easily won it if they were more clinical with the opportunities they had. And they did get a goal that night. But that game and also the League Cup final, they're they're good examples of how goals are still hard to come by from for this team. In the League Cup final, it's a set piece goal, and it's it, it was an own goal really. I know they gave it to Rashford, but it it wasn't going in. In Barcelona, it was Rashford getting the goal and it was an own goal as well. Um, I think their last league win away from home probably was was Leeds. They didn't play well there particularly. Uh, it was only when Ten Hag made a change with Martinez coming on and adjusted the balance of the team that United were a lot more assured on the ball and, and they got the breakthrough in the last 
the last 10 minutes. There were a couple of gritty wins away from home at the start of the season when it was all about getting points on the board after the dreadful start that they'd had. Uh, but, I mean, it was I, I never was was one who was talking it up at all. I thought the complete opposite. But the, the reason why United were never title challengers this season was that after that chatter got a bit of momentum following the City win in January, they went to Crystal Palace and... Yeah, they they pretty much bottled it. They they had all that dominance in the second half, but they conceded a goal in the 90th minute, and they drew against a team who were having a bit of a, you know, a, an underwhelming season to put it politely. At Arsenal, the, the scoreline wasn't really a fair reflection at all. Arsenal were by far and away the better side. They were so dominant. United were caught between two stools, and and they lost that one as well. And those are two away games. Um, you know, quite you know, quite relatively close together, and circumstances where they're conceding late goals in them. So this this team has never had the metal to be anywhere near title challenges this season, and you know, it, we we won't know just yet. But and and there aren't. I think there's only one more league game to go until the the March internationals. But I think the reliable gauge of how they respond to this aberration, if you you know, that will certainly be hoping it's an aberration, but. The league form is going to be the reliable gauge of how how wits affected them. I think some of the cup games they almost take take care of themselves. They they should get past Real Betis. Fulham is a pretty tricky game. Fulham are having a terrific season, but the league form is what you measure a team's progress by. And as I said, when it came to that Palace game and the Arsenal game in January, United proved to those who were in doubt or in denial that they were not title challengers. And some are still have still been trying to peddle that myth. Uh, I, I don't think they will be any more after what happened yesterday. And so, really, you've you've got to you've got to look at these fixtures coming up. I mean, they've got Newcastle away. I think that's the first league game they have back after the March internationals. They play away at Brighton as well. I think that'll probably be rearranged for uh, midweek in May. So they have still got some tough away games coming up and. As, as far as the table goes, I think Tottenham, Tottenham away is going to be a midweek game in April as well. And um, I mean, Liverpool probably looking at the table now when there's a seven point gap. And if they can if they can you know, use yesterday as a platform to uh, build some momentum on, they'll, they'll probably fancy themselves of, of reeling, uh, reeling United in and maybe finishing finishing third this season. And so United have got to be careful, even though I still think they they will qualify for the Champions League and they're still very well placed to finish third. They've got to hope that, their supporters have got to hope that Ten Hag has, does what he did pretty much with the Brentford debacle in August where he channelled the most numbing negative United fans could have probably ever experienced at that point into the positive of a very uplifting win over Liverpool and then going on a, a pretty good run and climbing up the table. Well, we'll bring part one of the podcast to an end there. We'll be back in just a moment to continue our deep dive on Sunday's disaster. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Rich, a lot of players have rightly come in for criticism for Sunday's game against Liverpool. Not many, if any, had any redeeming qualities especially in that second half. But the, the the real lightning rod, it seems, and the one who's coming for the most criticism from uh, pundits and fans alike is Bruno Fernandes, as Samuel touched on earlier. He 
Yeah, he, he was quite petulant. I think the, that's the word that's been going around, wasn't he? he, he his little dive after getting touched in the face when 6-0 down was a highlight. Pushing the linesman was another. Don't know if any uh, retrospective action could be coming in for him there. And, you know, general body language. I'm not sure where the assumption has come that he was asking to be subbed off. I, I don't, I've seen the clip in question. I don't really see how anyone's kind of read that far into it. But, yeah, he's, he's coming for a lot of criticism, as Samuel mentioned, because he's been wearing the captain's armband while doing all this. But is it is it really warranted to this extent? I feel like this is what Fernandez always does, and most of the time fans quite like it. I don't know. I know he's coming for criticism before. Like last season when United weren't doing well, it was Fernandez always body language, he's moaning, he's whining. But I, I thought that's kind of what Fernandez did, and it's just maybe there's obviously been a magnifying glass on it given the result. Yeah, and, you know... He is the he's basically the captain now. He is Manchester United's captain. He lifted the the Carabao Cup with Harry Maguire at Wembley because he's been playing this season. He is the on field, you know, the captain this season. So he has to set the standards, and he brought them down. He lowered them at Anfield. He was petulant. He was whiny. He was acting like everything was against United. He was just the embodiment of everything that was wrong with United for me, me on Sunday. And I do agree that it's unfair to scapegoat certain individuals, but I think that you have to accept it when you're the captain because you are you know meant to be the standard bearer you're meant to be the person who orchestrates what the manager wants on the pitch you're meant to be the player who rallies the troops the one who motivates the players make sure that head doesn't drop but it all stems from him and if your captain is the one who's whinging and getting irate and acting like everything's going against you then that's gonna you know flow and have an effect on the rest of the team as well so I think it did all boil over. Like you said, we've, we've known this from Fernandez ever since he joined the club. He's always been whinging and he almost needs to moan to fuel himself. You can tell that he he plays better when he's angry and annoyed and he feels things are going against him. So that's no criticism of his own sort of personality and approach because that's also what makes him so good. He has to have that bit of tenacity and that grip between the teeth, really. But against Liverpool, it did just boil over too much and it was the very worst of him. And you can handle his attitude when he's producing the goods on the pitch, but it was a real, real bad performance. I think as well that United have gotten away with playing him out of position a lot this season. You know, he's got on with it and he's done well and he deserves to be given credit for that. It was literally only two weeks to the day before the Liverpool game that I praised him and said he proved he was captain almost against Leicester because he was happy to play out of position but, and he was doing so well. But against Liverpool, it just felt like everything was against him and he's really letting the the events get to him really and I think being played out of position position as well when you're not winning that can really irritate you and I think Fernandez was just frustrated at the way that everything had unraveled and just wishing he could he could replay the game again because like you said on a different day United hold out till half time it is nil nil and then the second half is a completely different uh, sort of proceeding so I understand Fernandez's frustration, but when you're the captain, you can't be immune to criticism. You've got to be the front bearer of it. And he just wasn't good enough. And I think it does genuinely maybe put up the question long-term of who should the United captain mm. be. Because right now, Fernandez has been the best candidate. And for most of this season, he has been good enough. United have been a better team with him as captain than they were with Harry Maguire. But his petulance and the, just the way he he sort of orchestrates himself on the pitch at times, you do wonder if maybe there is someone who, who would be better suited to it long-term. And it's a question to be asked. And I suppose right now, the motivation for Fernandez is to once again prove his doubt was wrong and prove that he deserves to be United captain, not just until the end of the season, but mm. for, for the long-term future as well. 
Yeah, it certainly is a question to be asked. And I did ask it um, to United fans on a Twitter poll. Um, Casemiro is currently leading the charge, but Fernandez still in second, Samuel. Of course, the captaincy is a kind of pertinent issue, given that, as you've reported, Maguire has been kind of earmarked to be sold in the summer. You'd imagine even if he hadn't been, he would want to leave, given he's so far down the pecking order now. And as we've said many times, him being captain and you know fifth, fourth at best in the centre back pecking order is quite untenable. So, but if he if he does depart in the summer, a new captain will have to be appointed. Fernandez is still the leading candidate, even after one game. But do you think, uh, as many have said, that he shouldn't wear the armband again? No, uh, you, you've had some dimwits like. Well, I might as well name him, even though I'm giving him the oxygen. But but Chris Sutton saying he should be stripped of the captaincy. Well, he's he's not the captain. If you're going to strip someone of the captaincy, it's it's Harry Maguire. Uh, he his I mean his his behaviour yesterday was deplorable. Fernandez, there's there's no defending it, and and he has got that in him. It, it was a regression to the bad days of of last season when he was constantly whinging, expending more energy on whinging uh, during games rather than trying to win games, and. It's it's probably worth its own highlights reel on on match of the day too last night. I'm not too sure if they did get into that much depth on on how he was acting, but you you could easily get a highlights or a low lights reel of how Fernandez conducted himself during the game. But by and large this season, he has led very uh, very well, and he when a couple of us spoke to him before the derby in January he did he did dwell on and it was unprompted as well about how he uh, conducts himself with referees and he was almost apologetic at times I think he might have even said that he'll have a word with a referee during a game or after a game and acknowledge that he was he was out of line here and there um I mean there's a refs charity today uh I mean how how a referee's charity exists is, is is rather peculiar but suggesting that he should be banned for five matches and, and stripped of the captaincy. Uh, I, th- I think I know what they're up to there and trying to get a bit of publicity. But the, the linesman uh, was put, put put his hand on, on Fernandes as well. I mean, for what Fernandes did, he shouldn't have done. And somehow he didn't actually get booked yesterday. I think only three United players did, which uh, was remarkably low given the way, just, just how much they'd lost their heads really. At times it was like you had, 10 Hannibal Meshpreece out on the pitch and he was very lucky when he came on at Anfield last season not to have been sent off but it's as I said like like the performance like the result they've just got to to try and banish it and just you know regard it as an as an aberration and as I said Fernandez has had a, a good season as um as, as a captain and and the way he's played in games as well and he had a absolutely horrific day but you know, as as is often the case when when United get a hammering, there's an element of hyperbole that comes with it from certain um, certain quarters of the media or certain uh, people trying to get a bit of publicity, and I think that's you know that 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 would be overstepping the mark. Uh, do you think you should keep the armband, uh, Rich, in the event Maguire leaves or someone else for you? I suppose you've got to just. <laughs> Wonder is anyone else vocal enough to to be that leader on the pitch? I mean, Casemiro and Varane have both won everything you could ever really want to win, and they're excellent role models. But I mean, they both played bad yesterday as well. So you can't. Can you just say that Fernandez has played one bad game? He shouldn't be captain. I think for me, I'd still keep 
Fernandez as captain. I think that's a lesson learned for him, and it's a maybe an education for him on on what the expectations of a United captain are, and the fact that if they play that badly, he is the one who who takes the brunt of the the criticism. Really, I mean, it's something that was often thrown at Harry Maguire last season. Whenever United were conceding goals, whether Maguire's fault or not, he was the captain. He was held responsible, and that is you know that is the fact of the matter. You know, Fernandez hasn't carried himself in the best way there, but I think you've got to try and move on from it and, like I said, give him the opportunity now to prove why he should be captain. From the majority of the season, he's been good enough with the armband on, so I think that one bad game shouldn't mean that he doesn't get to keep it permanently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, as, as we've said, he was not the only bad player by a mile. I thought, as you said there, Casimiro, it looked like a different player. I, I didn't think he had that level of performance in him. But when everything's going, going south, you can't blame anyone for kind of going down with it. But, uh, you know, one person we haven't really touched much on so far, Samuel, is Ten Hag. And, you know, he's been nearly faultless throughout his... Uh, um, we're on now eight months in charge. But does he have to come in for a bit of the blame here on some tactical decisions? I feel, I feel like the um, the immediate return of Dallow to the team instead of Wan-Bissaka is a bit questionable. I think everyone's in agreement Wan-Bissaka's been really good in recent weeks, even if he is you know, still limited going forward. And then, as I think Rich touched on earlier, it seemed pretty obvious that you'd have Marcus Rashford, the most informed player in the league, against Trent, probably the, the least informed defender in the league. And they, they never seemed to really exploit that. The one time they did, when they went through, I think Trent actually made, <laughs> I don't know if it was going to be a penalty or not, but he looked Alexander like he made a good tackle on that. Was it? Oh, are we against? Are we against first name basis? It's yeah, just such a yeah. Mouthful. In general, in general, it, I I can't understand why people say Bruno referring to Fernandez as if he's like this legendary figure. Come on, come on, it's gotta be the surname. Oh, I'll, However I'll, I'll much of a standard, mouthful. Standards. <laughs> well, Alexander Arnold, he looked like he'd made the best piece of defending of his life when he put that sliding tackle in on. I don't know if it was actually going to be a penalty or not, but he stopped the play even though it was offside. But yeah, it just seemed like United's tactics were a bit a bit strange on, on Sunday, even from the off. I know they played well in that first half, but as you said, it wasn't like a completely brilliant performance and they were 1-0 down by the break. They were so bad, they did make Alexander Arnold look competent as a defender at one point or another as you said with that that tackle United's two most satisfying meaningful wins over Liverpool in the last five years were through Rashford targeting Alexander-Arnold I think all three sorry all four of their goals in those two games the win under Mourinho the win under Ten Hag this season it's it's targeting Alexander-Arnold the the first goal for for Jane Sancho this season it comes down his side um and, and Rashford obviously scored the winner that night. He got the two goals under Mourinho as well. So when you take him out of that position, and I could kind of see Ten Hag's thinking in that Veghorst just cannot fulfil the role he was bought for, which was scoring goals. So he's having to play him further away from goal because his link-up play is quite decent. But having him there and not having Fernandes there, it, it did compromise the balance of United's midfield because Fred was being given the licence to get forward to try and press Liverpool that did leave Casemiro somewhat isolated. And unfortunately for United, Casemiro also did not play well. He, his first half performance was was pretty poor. Um, he was very, very wasteful with the ball. He played one good um, pass into Anthony, but Anthony was, was offside for it anyway. So Alexander-Arnold had you know had a pretty much a free run uh, down his side with, with only Fernandes to contend with. And Fernandes was never really going to bother him. Uh, the, the two centre-backs, Canate and, and Van Dijk, Veghorst probably would have been a physical match for them, but in the end they had Rashford to deal with, and 
although there was the odd hairy moment for Liverpool, they they got away with the main one in the first half. And so the whole balance was compromised, as I said. The, the midfield just wasn't quite right. Whereas if you had Casemiro, Fred and Fernandes there, that is an intense enough trio to, to match Liverpool's uh, midfielders. And also the midfield is supposedly uh, Liverpool's weakest area. And United kind of relinquished control to them. And it was almost as if they gave them uh, an, an advantage before before kickoff. I said earlier about Ten, ten Hag's in-game substitute, his his substitutions with Garnacho and McTominay coming on. I didn't quite understand either of those really. McTominay, somewhat understandable, but was he coming on to try and get United higher up the pitch or was he coming on to try and protect the back four? It was impossible to tell, particularly when he inadvertently assisted Salah. And as, as far as the right-back situation goes, I think the three of us or four of us who had to pick a team for... Uh, for, for for the game on Sunday, we all went with with Wan Masaka as the right back, and you half wondered going into the game whether him not starting in the cup final and against West Ham, whether that was Ten Hag saving him for a particular game, a big game, i.e. Liverpool away. It didn't prove to be the case. I think it's pretty clear that Ten Hag prefers the all round attributes that Dallo has, and Dallo is is a more rounded right back as well he put a good cross in for fernandez and i thought he had a, a reasonably okay first half but he's just been out of form and he's been out of form since the world cup when he got injured against morocco in the quarterfinals he's had a, that was obviously uh, he got an injury uh that day he did his hamstring he got an injury when he came back to united i think it was a, a recurrence of the hamstring strain that he that he had at the World Cup, and he's his form has just not been it's not been at the level it was prior to the World Cup. Wambasaka has had a pretty good couple of months. He, he was he was found out at Arsenal. I think most most fullbacks do tend to get um, found out coming up against Arsenal uh, these days. Uh, he, he didn't he had a poor day that day, but by and large he's had uh he's had an impressive and encouraging spell in the team and and all of a sudden the way ten hag is going about it with the right back situation you wonder whether that is still an area of interest going into the summer whether they do need to be be decisive there and if if ten hag decides that as well as wambasaka is done his face just doesn't fit then You've you've got to sell him, and you've got to. If you sell him, then you're obviously you're going to be bringing a right back in. So, uh, it, it certainly the situation yesterday wasn't helped by some of the calls Ten Hag made, and you've got to play to your strengths at times. And you want Rashford going up against Alexander Arnold and bringing him away from Alexander Arnold. I think Liverpool fans, when they probably saw how United lined up at kickoff, that have. They'd have been quite relieved at that. And as I said, it, it did feel like that Ten Hag handed them an advantage with a couple of the tactical calls he made. Rich, you made the point earlier that I kind of want to circle back to about how a lot of these players have been here for that that period of, you know, that barren period of for United, um, you know, barren in the fact he still won four or five trophies, didn't they? But certainly not to the, the, the high success and the standards United have come to used to in the in the 20 years previous you know you've got De Gea, Dallow, Shaw, Fred, McTominay they've all been here years some of, some of them approaching a decade at this point and can United ever truly move on with the, you know, players who have failed frankly I know they've been I know I think that may sound quite harsh um, De Gea's obviously quite, quite quite a good season Luke Shaw's been brilliant Fred has certainly had his moments here and there Barcelona especially but it just feels like the, you know the past may be holding down United still a little bit 
Yeah, I mean, they've all been written off at some stage. You can you can always think of quotes from Keane or Neville and all of them where they said they're not good enough. United will never win the league with these players, and yet they're still here. And they've been as good. They've been good for as long as they've been bad at United, and that's the whole problem. They are just not consistent enough. And I know it's cliche when managers say they want momentum, they want consistency, but those are those are the traits you need. You need players who have a regular output. If you want to get higher up the table and be a more consistent force yourself, you need players who you can rely on week in, week out. And United still have a core of players who are just too unreliable. Now, of course, every team in the world, every effective top team will have some squad players who might not be the, the, the best technically. I mean, look at Fred's own sort of attitude to himself he calls himself the piano carrier because he appreciates he isn't the best player on the team but he does the dirty work and that's admirable you can have a few players like that but United still have too many they've still got a squad of players where you'd say maybe even upwards of 10 of them in the sort of wider squad just wouldn't get into any other top six team really can, can you really imagine City Liverpool okay Chelsea by everyone they're not in this top six team anymore but you look at City Liverpool Arsenal really would any of them really want Shaw or Fred I don't think they would. And I'm not saying that means they're bad players. They're still very good players and they've had very good moments for, for the club. But moving on to the next level, United need to not necessarily get rid of all these players, but demote some of them so that they are the backup options. They are the rotational options because we've always said that. People like Fred, he has a role to play when he's brought in for the big games, but he seems to be playing every single week now. And I know there is a shortage of options for United, so their hands are tied to a degree, but it's their own sort of punishment for not replacing these players over the last few years. They've just hung on to too many players. They should have got rid of them and they need to be ruthless again. And we're heading into a summer now where player sales are going to be paramount to United's budget. They can't keep on spending all this money. They need to recuperate some of it if they want to finance maybe two major signings. They can probably afford one, but if you want two elite players, a midfielder and a striker coming in, you're going to have to balance the book somewhere. And the truth of the matter is United still have too many players who just aren't reliable enough. Yes, they've had good moments under Ten Hag. He's done really well to get this squad as good as he has. But even at their best under Ten Hag, they are still the third best team in the Premier League. If they want to move to the next level, they need to get better players all around. Contrastly, Samuel, is is there a danger, and as daft as this sounds after a a 7-0 loss, but is there a danger of overreacting a little bit? Was it just so much of a wild anomaly to lose in such kind of disastrous fashion, you know, I, well, I agree on some players where we're just saying like McTominay and Maguire and, and as you've reported, Marshall and Maguire and uh, Alex Tellis probably earmarked for sales in the summer as it is. But is, is there a danger of, you know, the, most of them have made a lot of progress on the Ten Hag, have improved a lot, United are a lot, lot better than they were last year, of course, the worst ever Premier League finish last year, um, I don't think we can forget, but they were involved in it. Is, is there a danger of overreacting to this defeat as abject as it was or, or is it kind of the wake-up call maybe Ten Hag needed to you know to see that this squad still needs a, a lot of uh, a lot of upgrades I don't necessarily think it's a a wake-up call or a reality check I don't think it's going to change the way they're going to operate in the summer of, of those players starting yesterday who are you know fully contracted United who aren't on loan None of them are on the to-sell list for the summer, unsurprisingly. It would be a shock if any of them were. I reckon there's probably at least half a dozen players that United intend to sell. I don't know all of the names, but I do know some of them. And as I said, those players that started yesterday, Veghorst is on loan, so you take him out of the equation, but none of the others 
are down to be sold in the summer, which is completely logical. You want, looking at that squad, sorry, those starters yesterday, you do want all of them in the team next season. Um, Luke Shaw is, I mean, he was dreadful yesterday, but you could argue he's been the best left back in the league this season, which does feel somewhat strange at times when you consider he's been involved in a 4-0 thumping and a 7-0 thumping and he was absolutely horrific in, in both of them. But his form by and large for United this season has been has been very good and he was good for England at the World Cup as well. He's he is probably a player that would would improve City if, if Guardiola really did want a left footed left back, which he, he doesn't seem to have wanted for a very long time and, and City have done all right getting by with it and he's he's got another project there in Rico Lewis who is who looks a, a real player but they've they've got to really stick to their guns in terms of the players they intend to sell and they should have they should be in a position of strength come the summer to sell those players they should be in the Champions League uh they've they've obviously already got one trophy in the bag this season that they're, they're going to be um a more compelling sell to players that they want to sign in the summer uh, there are certain players. Wambasak is a good example. If if they really do intend to sell him, or if they're considering selling him, they've got to strike while the iron is hot because his reputation has recovered from last season. There's a reason why he didn't go in the summer. It's because there was no tangible taker. He, like most of the players last season, was dreadful. United were never going to get a fee for him. It was a case of whether it was worth going down that road of getting him out on loan in the end it wasn't worth it and they they couldn't come to a, a compromise with any of the clubs who were uh, you know, tentatively interested it was different with Tellez because they had Tyrell Malassia in so with Alex Tellez he had to go out and Fortunately, you know, Sevilla. I mean, it's, they're not having a great season, Sevilla. But they they took Tellers off United's hands, and Tellers logically, where United have got two left backs who are ahead of him, they want to sell him in the summer. So I, I don't really see it, the the plan deviating from from course at all. And even if Marshall were to come back and to score ten goals between now and the end of the season. I'd, I'd still advise United to stick to their guns and, and try and sell him because you only have to look at the body of evidence in front of you over the last three or four years. I think he scored 14 club goals in the last three seasons, including this one. He's not completed 90 minutes in the Premier League since January 2021. He's had five or six different injuries this season. I mean, do you want me to go on? There's a compelling case there in 10 seconds as to why you absolutely should sell him in the summer. His contract's also up next year. He's got a plus one option, but you've just got to operate, I think, in that case of he's out of contract next year. Let's try and get him out this year. So, yeah, I, I don't... Fortunately, because the form preceding um, prior to the Liverpool game was so good and the feel-good factor was was swirling around the club. United fans can kind of just... I mean, it would have been advisable, really, for those who were in the Anvil Road and last night to get drunk as quickly as possible and, and try and forget what happened and just, you know, get on with the season. So they, they've had a... You know, they've had a bit of glory already this season. They are still on the up. The trajectory hasn't exactly plummeted overnight at all. And that they could still have a very, very good, successful uh, run-in. And the challenge for those players who started at Anfield yesterday, I mean, it was it was curious that it was the same starting eleven that lined up in the League Cup final. 
is that unless they elevate United to greater heights, those players who started that game yesterday, they will be remembered more for what happened at Anfield than what happened at Wembley in a pretty you know, underwhelming League Cup final. Well, we'll bring part two to a close there. We'll be back in just a moment to look forward to United's hopeful redemption. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Rich, thankfully for United, well, I believe Rashford's just tweeted he wish he had a game today to try and put things right. Can't have it just yet, but he won't have to wait too long because United will be back in action on Thursday. They'll be at Old Trafford and they'll welcome Real Betis uh, for the Europa League last 16 tie. By no means uh, an easy match. Tough opponents who have, have earned their spot in this round by um, you know actually winning their, their Europa League group, which United didn't do. But... Um, how how do you see this one going out? A lot of change. Do you see a lot of changes being made, or is Ten Hag going to tell the players who made such a mess of it to go and put things right? I think all the, the the players, all of them, will want to play again. They'll want a chance to redeem themselves, to to prove, like you said, that that they are better than what they saw at the weekend. So I think there'll be a few changes. I don't think it will be wholesale. Ten Hag's never really gone down the route of wholesale changes this season anyway. I think he did it for maybe it was at the Charlton game or, or one of the Carabao Cup games. He made a few changes, but he's never really gone, like I said, wholesale in that regard. And I think United do have quite a favourable run of fixtures now up until the international break anyway. I mean, three or four of them are, are, are three or four of them are at home, mostly in the cup competitions as well. So they've they've got the perfect distraction now really. And of course you want to just get it out of your system. And I think United will We'll come out with a with a point to prove, obviously, on Thursday. But they might take a little while just to get their confidence back as well, to, to a degree. A fast start will certainly help get the fans fans on board. And I think you know it's just going to be the whole narrative this week as if United can bounce back. And I'd be very surprised if they didn't. I think the next four games they could win all all four of them really. And you know that is the that's the mantra they have to have that okay sunday happened it was an absolute devastating defeat but now you move on you know united have to make sure that they that they have the mentality and the correct one to do so and i think we will learn a lot about this united side in in the manner of the response they've got such a talented squad they've got so many options they made their mistakes but at home against a team like real betis i know they got a good point at the weekend but you have to fancy united's chances i think there'll be a bit of a freshening up to the squad because some of the players just need a rest as well. I think there's an element of that anyway, that United have been so over-reliant on the same sort of starting eleven for the last month or so that there's a bit of burnout. They need to freshen it up. They need to have that competition for places. So I think make a few changes, but I I, I don't personally right now have any fear that United's sort of, that, that result's going to knock United off, off their course too much. Mm-hmm. Well, you spot on. Betis did have a good point the weekend, drawing with Real Madrid on Sunday. They've won the three games prior to that, Samuel. And of course, got a good result against United in a, a mid-season friendly, I suppose, um, at the end of last year in that obviously a completely different United side, given most of them uh, were away at the World Cup. But um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting one, this. And as you say, United need a, a big response and an immediate response. And what about you? Do you, do you see many changes? Well, I mean, we were discussing this when we were coming out the ground last night and when you get hammered 7-0, ordinarily you'd want to make wholesale changes, but Ten Hag can't really do that and he won't do that. I think it wouldn't be a surprise if 
six or seven of the starters at Anfield line up against Betis on Thursday night. You could make a case for Jaden Sancho coming in, who, I mean, given that Garnacho came on, I'd have thought if if he wanted a winger on, I thought Sancho might have been the more um, the more logical player to bring on. But I, I think Sancho has got to be in with a shout of coming into the team for Anthony. The, the Veghorst experiment at some point it has to come to an end and you can maybe say that Anfield was the time to, to do it, but it still wouldn't be a surprise if we see Veghorst lining up on um, in midweek against Betis. Right back, I think there's probably got to be a change there with, with Wan-Bissaka coming in. Beyond those three or four changes, I don't really see where else he he's likely to, to freshen it up. Some of the substitutes... At Anfield, they they maybe did seem strategic to try and save players for that Betis game. Fred came off quite early, so I don't think Fred's all of a sudden going to be bombed out of the team. Even though maybe a, a change in midfield is advisable, and he has got options there with Sabitza and, and McTominay. And I, I think if there is to be, there haven't been many criticisms of of Ten Hag this season, but he hasn't. There have been certain games where he hasn't rotated enough. That the lack of rotation did not. Ex- did not account for yesterday's horror show. It had nothing. The energy levels had absolutely nothing to do with why United were hammered seven nil yesterday. Uh, I saw some fans suggesting that it was because uh, one fan said because he didn't give Kobe Mainu and Zidane Iqbal a chance. It's it's come it's come to this. I'm I'm pretty sure it. I'm pretty sure that because he didn't play Kobe uh, Mainu and Zidane Iqbal in certain games that that didn't result in Liverpool annihilating United seven nil, but. You look at Christian Eriksen when he got injured against Reading. It, I mean, it was because of the human wrecking ball and Andy Carroll that inflicted that. But Eriksen should not have been starting that game. I don't think many United fans would have advised Ten Hag. I mean, it sounds a strange thing to say, a fan advising a manager. But I don't think many United fans would have wanted or suggested that te- that Christian Eriksen should have been starting in that game. But it is different now because there's more at stake there. As you said, Betis won their group. I think Roma were in their group as well. And uh, you, you can't take any of these teams lightly. Sociedad beat United earlier this season. They they got the job done against United. Uh, they, they, a victory in defeat in, in the second game when they only lost 1-0 when United had to win 2-0 to top the group. And I think Betis, are, are they fifth or sixth in, in La Liga last I saw? They got a creditable point at the weekend against against Real Madrid. They lost quite narrowly to Barcelona recently. But as you said, with I think Nabil Fekir, who is, is a cracking player, it's a shame that he's not not come to the Premier League. He, he almost did with, with Liverpool in 2018. But I think he's out for the season now when that's obviously a significant blow for them. But you, you do, as I said earlier, because of the fixture list before the March internationals, I mean, United have got Betis at home, Southampton at home, Betis away, Fulham at home in three different competitions, only one league game. That That is a very presentable run of fixtures for them to regain, regain confidence, get wins, uh, get some points on the board in the Premier League and also progress to uh, the quarterfinal and the semi-final of, of two more cup competitions. Yeah, absolutely. You took, you took the words out of my first time. I mean, if United could have picked a fixtures to have next, Rich, after such a defeat, at least in the league, I don't know if they particularly want the Europa League tie there against a really good team. But in the Premier League, they've got a home match next against Southampton, 19th in the league, of course. We won't delve too much into that today. But could these two, you know, if United can dust themselves off two wins back to back at Old Trafford, 
and as, as Samuel says, maybe another one in the FA Cup just before the international break, would that be enough to coincide this uh, this horrific result to memory and then you know lock it in a box, never look at it ever again until inevitably until United play Liverpool again next season and it, all the, the horrific memories come back. But for the rest of this season at least, it can just be forgotten about, moved on from and hopefully never never see the light of day again. I'm not sure these... I'm not sure whether the next two matches would do that, but I think it's just got to be look at the the end of season goal. Really, if United finish in the top four, they've won a trophy, perhaps even had another trophy to the collection, then it doesn't matter. The United season was all about getting back in the Champions League and, if possible, winning a trophy. They've already won the trophy. There's still good odds to get Champions League football next season, and there's got to be consequentialism about it. Yes, you, it's going to be a, the result that stands out. It's going to be something they've got to live with for the rest of their lives, these players. But it's happened now. United still need to do the job in hand, finish in the top four. And if they've done that, then I think that's how you you move on and get your redemption, really. United just need to prove they are still a team on the up and that the game at the weekend wasn't a sign of things to come. That it wasn't just a moment, uh, sort of a, a reflection of of where they're really at and that they, they've been having sort of a false dawn this whole season. The, the whole point, the whole response needs to be that they are a team that don't lose like that anymore. That was a real one-off. It was the freak result that's been described by by Jurgen Klopp. And that's the way that they can move on from it. I think, obviously, the next few games will be under particular scrutiny because there has to be that immediate response. But in terms of actually moving on from the Anfield aberration, it's just by finishing in the top four, finishing above Liverpool and the fact they've won a trophy, maybe adding another to the hall as well. Well, on that optimistic note, we will bring this episode of the Manchester is Red podcast to a close. Thank you, everyone, very much for listening. We'll be back on Friday to discuss that Real Betis game and look forward to uh, the match against Southampton on the weekend. Until then, for all the latest breaking news and expert analysis, you know where to go. You can go over to manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester United. You can get us on Twitter at Man United MEN and our Facebook page is Manchester Evening News dash Man United. If you want to watch this podcast in living colour, of course, you can go over to YouTube as well for our new channel, Manchester Evening News Dash Man United. But that's all for um, today's episode, everyone. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you later on. But until then, ta-ra.